The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Very active starting a business. It takes a lot of gumption. I really want to dig in deep, figure out what makes these people tick, how they are leveraging their success to make the rest of the world a better place. You know, maybe have a couple of giggles along the way. From the Pod 617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Kilroy Report, the podcast that shares the stories of entrepreneurs and agency owners doing extraordinary things in an ordinary world. Now here's your host, Tim Kilroy. Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome to the Kilroy Report, where we talk about extraordinary people building extraordinary businesses in completely ordinary times, except for the fact that these are anything but these are extraordinary times. So anybody who's growing a business today has got some incredible stuff because it's a busy, complicated, noisy world. And anybody who's able to effectively and efficiently grow a business is really truly doing extraordinary. Towards that end, we have back for a round two today. We've got John Hill from Adapted Growth, who is the he is the author of Selling from Scratch, which he's going to hold up so everybody can see. It's available on Amazon and booksellers near you. And also, by the way, the audio book available near you, a favorite audible near you, is surprisingly good. Thank you. you know, I, 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 don't, I, I don't really... So several of, of people that I know have written books, and, and some of them have narrated them, and I have often... As I've listened to them, I thought, oh, my God, I don't like I like you, but I don't want to hear you drone on anymore. I did not have that experience with you. And as a matter of fact, I, I really thought that the that the audio book actually added, the audio version of the book actually added something to it. I mean, I thank you, first of all, because I love audiobooks, and I was a little nervous about recording myself and Melissa, who's my editor and my partner, and we work together. She didn't want me to do it because my voice can go out about once a year. I'll have a couple of days where my voice is just completely gone because I use it a lot. And we were both just, can we do this and can we do it well? And so I kind of constructed this little bitty studio with some blankets and some sound deadening and was just like huddled in a small area so that way like so you made a blanket fort yeah i made a yeah i'm a 40 year old with a blanket fort and so it was very i'm all having to crawl under it and get into the space and it was in the mornings before my calls start and everything and it took about two weeks and then she bless her heart got to do all the editing and kind of put it together and making sure it sounds good and had to come back and do some re-recording. So it really pushed her skill set and it turned out better than I thought it was going to be. We've gotten really great feedback on it and it's the coolest thing I've built. I'm so just happy that that it turned out the way that it did. Good, good. All right. So a reason, you, I don't know if you can hear this, but a reason I would never record an audiobook is you might be hearing Fred in the background barking mm-hmm. and Fred just never shuts up. So <laughs> We got it so, over the day after Christmas and... I think it would have been harder to do with a dog during that time, but we were between dogs whenever we were recording this thing. So that wasn't an issue, but you know, it will be something we have to think about and kind of plan around in the future when, when we put out another book and do another audio. All right. So what adapted, give us the, the, the quick and dirty on what adapted growth does. Yeah. So adapted growth is sales consulting and it is about 
helping you do it in a way that makes you feel comfortable and also gives you the data necessary so that way you can make improvements. A lot of that comes from thinking about how your CRM is built, what your process should look like, who you want to be working with and putting in some of that work and effort for clarity that a lot of people don't think about when they're just starting out because they just want clients, they just want revenue, they just want to grow. So our thing is always make your life easier by looking at the kinds of clients you like to work with and the ones you don't and always be iterating your targeting and your process and be thoughtful about who you're, who you're choosing to work with. So. So who, or I guess what, what is the big, like the big mistake or the big misconception people have when they're either when they, they think that there's something wrong with their sales process or they've just suddenly become aware that they actually need a sales process. What are like the big misconceptions? I think the biggest misconception is this view from the outside that sales is all just ego and pushing hard and lots of effort and in that kind of thing. And it's it's crazy because I talk about this all the time that it's you want to be trying to talk people out of it as opposed to trying to force everybody into it. And that's how you get really great clarity. And that's how you really prove yourself to be a consultant. If you're trying to do a consultative process, you have to actually act as a consultant, which means helping that person out where they are, not necessarily just trying to butter them up so that way they buy from you. And right. I think now, I think, so help me, help me reconcile that, that actual, that, that good human process where you're thinking, this is where the customer is and those here are their specific needs mm-hmm. reconcile that style of selling with it's all about your offer man you get a killer <laughs> offer you don't have to sell okay so credit to Ramosi. i like the book i think that just like most things it's going to get misconstrued as a silver bullet and, and like i'm already seeing that in some of the communities i'm in and how people are locking into this and they're just it's it's the new version of the value stack, right? If you just show that you're offering enough things and you and you show what it normally is and then what it's marked down to, if you just show them enough value, they're going to have to buy. I feel like $100 million offers and continuing to polish offers is incredibly helpful. But I think that that needs to happen after you have spent time hearing from your audience, from the people that you want to help, what they can't say no to, right? I think that too many people are going to read that book and they're just going to go into like a lab environment and be like, oh, I know what these people need. Well, without testing, without actually talking to people and networking and trying things, you don't actually know what people need. You're still in the same spot that you were before. You just have a new book that is telling you to go do more polishing. Polishing doesn't get it done. You have to be talking to people. So so let's, so let's, let's really dig into this. So in my work as an agency coach, mm-hmm. we definitely talk about offers with, with clients. Like uh, I'll ask them, what's your offer? And, and what I'm really asking for is how much are you charging? And what are the expectations you are, you are guiding your, your clients towards mm-hmm. in exchange for that money? Yeah. But people get offer and discount confused. Mm. Yeah. Also, when people think that I have, I have made an, like I have an offer, they think that's the only thing that they can sell. And while I'm a really big fan from an agency operation standpoint of building repeatable processes, mm-hmm. I really like to think about the offer more as a framework that you can recontextualize based on the consultative work that you've done in talking to the customer. I agree. So you're like your same process 
the same things that you deliver can be described or emphasized differently to fit the needs of that customer. And it's not that you were that you are not applying or you're not delivering the value that you promised, but rather you were thinking that, oh, like I have this, I have a process to deliver, to create the outcome that I promise. You know, it's got four parts to it, but the thing that this person really needs or feels like they need is the third part of that process. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about that more and I'm going to make that the star because it addresses their needs most specifically. Yeah. I like, there's bigger versions of this, but like, this is what's talked about all the time. Like we talk about it as if you don't spend the time in discovery to really understand what they need and how they think about it, how we're like growth, right? Like, don't you want to grow? Everyone is going to, if they've been in business for a little bit, they have a way that they're looking at their growth, right? And it might not be like top line revenue. It could be number of deals or proposals or anything else like that. And so when you can get into like really good discovery, you're understanding how they think about it in their pain problems and, and gaps as it's realized to them, which then allows you to go out and do a proposal based around those specific issues and struggles using their communication preferences and things like wait, that. Wait a minute. You've said a lot of things here. Discovery <laughs> proposals, like isn't selling about the one call close where you say stuff like, do you hate money, bro? <laughs> if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. It's time to step up. I, okay. So I personally hate that because I don't, I hate when that stuff gets applied to me. Right. And I think that a lot of people, when they're, when they're thinking about business and sales, they're, they're looking at it as they don't think about what works on them and what they appreciate as a buyer. They might go read a book or buy a course and they have a script and it doesn't really allow them to sell in their real organic way. I don't think high pressure sales works when you're doing consulting or when you're doing coaching or when you're doing like conceptual brain power, like copywriting and things like this, because you're not like, if it's a book, if it's a car, you put it in their hands and if it meets their expectations, they're going to buy. Right. So let's, do everything we can to give them the experience to figure out if this is what they need or not. If you're selling coaching or consulting or something, you can't put that product immediately in their hands because it's your brain. It's your method. It's how you work. And that means you need a little bit more trust because you don't have that widget that you just put in their hands. So do lots of people still sell that way? Yes. Do they have to deal with lots of churn and buyer's remorse and bad fits on the back end of it? Absolutely they do. And it's it's weird because I talk to owners and they'll have a product that can't keep clients. Everyone's leaving after the trial period and they're just running around saying, well, people just don't get it. At some point, after a certain amount of sample size, you have to look at the common denominator, right? If no one is staying past the trial period, you need to go improve your product, improve how it's discussed, reset the expectations, do these things as opposed to, well, do you want it or not? And then try to do bad takeaways and bad, like all the bad sales techniques that you learned philosophically and you don't actually know how to apply them. So I would love to focus on, on two parts of the sales process. Okay. Number one is discovery. Mm. And then number two is follow-up. Okay. So for most people, discovery, the discovery portion of their sales process is them talking about the things that they do. What should be happening in a discovery process? So discovery, the way that I think about it, the way we talk about it is as much 
understanding from their point of view, how do they, how do they realize these gaps? Because within a couple of reps, you're going to know what's common in the people and the gaps that you help with, but like how they approach it, how they think about it is going to be very different. And discovery is about allowing them to self-discover as much as it is about you trying to qualify them. Because I had a coach once and he said this line, I think about it in every call. If you say it as a salesperson, you have to prove it. If they say it as the prospect, you don't have to prove anything because they have brought it up and said it on their on their own. So when you can say something like, Tim, a lot of the people that I talk to are running agencies and they like the work, they like their clients, but they're just not really sure how they can grow this thing without duplicating themselves. Is that a problem that you have? Yeah, right? Can you tell me more about that? What does that feel like for you? And then they're they're in that moment. They're in that headspace of like feeling what that is like. And you've kind of served it up, but it's on them to like continue to talk about it. And then you go through questioning to determine, is it real? Is it nice to have? Is it a must have? And what should the investment look like to like not have to deal with that anymore? And what is the impact of that gap? So it's really about kind of taking them through a process of like, are these gaps real gaps or are they just, are you thinking about it the wrong way? So that way, by the end of that discovery session, they have told themselves that they need you and where their gaps are and how much it's costing them and how it's impacting their business. And then the rest of it is easier after that because they've not been making assumptions and doing all these things. So help me with, help me with this distinction. So a lot of times in this sort of internet-y world of sales, people leveraging when you're selling to a uh, sort of an owner operator, you want the, the very popular technique is to say like why are you doing this like what's what's the real reason why you're trying to solve this problem what's and then and so then you sort of then you are then you're having a more emotional discussion mm-hmm. right now let's imagine you were not selling to an owner operator let's imagine you were selling to a vp of marketing or a director of operations or whatever mm-hmm. where it's not their money All the benefit doesn't go to them. How do you leverage great discovery when the emotionality or the, the, the personal pain or the personal greed part isn't really relevant? What if you were selling to people who are less invested emotionally in, in, in the business? How does discovery, how does discovery differ? That's a great question. Honestly, I think. I think that those people are still going to have an emotional attachment to needing it to be better, right? Because if they have, if they have, if they have the room to say, oh, this needs to be fixed, I need to go find a way to fix this because maybe my boss is going to be all over me if we don't improve in this metric, right? So you can still start the conversation of what do you need? What are the gaps? Why? Okay. And then at some point you have to kind of dig a little bit, especially if you're not if you're dealing with someone who's not the owner operator, who's not going to realize that those pains in the, in the most immediate fashion. Right. So. Yeah, if you, like if, if you're talking to like the VP of marketing somewhere, talking about spending more time with your family and your legacy and all that stuff that, yeah. that people talk about that they say you should talk about, which by the way, you probably should never should. Correct. Unless that is what you're selling. You no, know? yeah. but you know, the, 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 the VP of marketing is thinking, well, wow, like, like a, we're at capacity and I need to get more efficient because 
I don't like, I didn't get budget to hire anyone else. So I got to really figure this out or like I'm working my people to the bone here. And I know that if I keep on driving on them this hard, they're going to leave. Yep. And so, and so, yeah, those are emotional issues, but it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Well, it, and, and the way that I think about it is like, that's where avatar development really comes into play, right? Because if I'm dealing with a solopreneur who hasn't ever hired a salesperson, they've been doing it themselves and maybe they want to improve and then eventually bring on a salesperson. I, my, the questions I ask are different than if I'm talking to a VP of sales who has an existing team and, and the owner who has a VP of sales and a sales team, right? Like they're going to appreciate the pains and they're going to realize the gaps differently. And that's totally okay. Being able to empathy, put, put, put yourself in those shoes if you don't have it all documented and figured out like, okay, so what does that feel like? So if I'm talking to an owner, right, how's the team doing? Like, what's what's going on? Are they performing at the same levels that you were when you were the one doing this? Like, that's how I attack it if I'm talking to the owner. If I'm talking to the VP of sales, they probably would place those people. I'm not going to show up and be like, hey, are you guys doing okay? Like, I'm just going to talk about like, okay, what's the hard part, right? Because if they have a vested interest because they've hired these people and I show up and I'm like, oh, are your guys not doing a good enough job? They're going to be defensive in that moment because right. of just how that relationship has worked. And so really diving in and really thinking about if if I was in this spot, how would I be feeling about this? How would I be thinking about these gaps and what what potentially would it feel like emotionally to not have the control necessary, to not be closing the deals, to not be able to hit the forecast and to, and to have these issues that people have? And and so you can sell the same thing to the owner operator and to the VP of sales using essentially using the same core values and core benefits of your product, but you're contextualizing them differently. Right. Yes. And, and I think and I think that's the I think that's the skill that is severely underappreciated is to be able to look at, at what you do. From your prospects' perspective, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not only it's not it's not only about the benefit you bring, but it's about how you describe the benefit in the most relevant terms. Exactly right. And one thing that I talk about with people all the time is the the big thing in sales is like show them the value and they will buy. Well, value is a subjective thing that is up to the person right there in that moment, right? So if I'm selling sand, I'm gonna have a very hard time selling sand to people who live in very sandy areas. But if you're in the middle of the ocean, man, it's not going to be difficult to show you the value in sand, right? So it's really thinking about, well, what is going to make this make sense for this person? And that's where scripts don't do it. Like your script should be more of like a framework, bullet points that allow you to try things, ask questions, go down tangents, really try to figure out like what is keeping them up at night without having to ask that tired question because yeah. no one is no one's going to be honest with you unless you just have mountains and mountains of trust or authority already built and in cold conversations you don't have that so you kind of have to make make some assumptions but not like assuming the sale but when you can talk about the pains that you solve and the struggles that people are having whenever you uncover them and it it allows for a really great conversation and they can self-discover <clears throat> i was coaching a guy is at the enterprise level and enterprise deals are difficult. They're very complex. They're very long-term and there's lots of hoops to jump through. And in the beginning, he was very traditional in, in, in his approach, right? I'm going to assume we're going to go. This is my call. You don't know what you need until I get here. And over the coaching, we talked about 
empathy and slowing down and giving them the full rights of their adulthood, right? Like no one wants the freedom of choice taken away from them in a sales conversation. So if you don't give people the freedom of choice, you're going to get fabricated answers because they might want to be able to get away if they, if this isn't working. Whereas if you can give them full control, right? Tim, at the end of this, you might need to tell me, no, that's totally okay. Would you feel comfortable doing that? So I don't have to do the sales thing and just kind of chase it. Yes, no, John, I'm not buying more of your book. I understand. Probably shouldn't. Do you know anybody else who should? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, I must say my, my youngest kids, they're always trying to get me to do stuff like take, take, getting me to take them somewhere or buy them something. So maybe, maybe they, I should have them read it because they really need to work on their, on their I mean, sales technique. I got so much better as a salesperson by having a kid and watching how they just instinctually try to sell. Like she'll come into the room with me and my partner and Melissa, who's my partner and Alice had this agreement about she has to drink a certain amount of water each and every day. So that way she gets to play with her phone and do her things. And so one day she comes in the room and she goes, I think I deserve a piece of candy and phone time because look how much water I drink in it, like I'm folding laundry. This isn't even my conversation. And in my head, I have this moment of like, watch this. She's going to find a reason that the no still makes sense. Right. And I'm just, I just have my head down. I'm doing my thing. And sure enough, well, and she starts bringing up this other stuff. That's not part of this agreement, but it's just this, well, I've been challenged. So let me show you why I'm telling you no. And like there, that is sales. Don't you want to grow? Can I have 15 minutes? Yeah, you can have 15 minutes. What do you got? And then it's adversarial in nature and it's a waste of time for both parties. Yeah, so, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. All right. So speaking of wasting time, let's, let's skip. So you've done discovery Yep. and you've gathered the information and there's, remind me, there's one more thing that I want to talk about discovery, but we'll do it after this. Talked about but, follow -up. yeah, so follow-up. So, so you, you've done your discovery, you, you've made your offer, given the presentation, essentially said, cool, right? Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes it's a competitive situation, you know, that they've got to evaluate a couple of other offers. Yep. Or they're, they're going to say things like, you know what, this is great, but like we kind of bring it up at the management meeting that happens in two weeks and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, or like, let me get through this quarter because then, I, then I'm going to know what the budget looks like and whatever. And someone has basically said, thank you, Chucky, but you need to wait while I make my decision. Mm -hmm. Now, so many folks turn around and are just like, Hey, just checking in. Let's see how things <laughs> oh, or, just, um, just this hey, worst uh, word. Like, I'm, I, I sent you an email on Wednesday. Now it's Thursday afternoon. And I haven't heard back from you. What's, what's going on? Yeah. And so how should we be thinking about that, that process? And let's be honest, what this process is all about. This process is all about managing your anxiety as the offerer of something, because you're, you like, you've just gotten down on one knee and said, will you marry me? And you're, and you're waiting, but your life is thing in the balance. So, so what are effective ways to follow up without making it clear? Like, this is all your anxiety. Like I need to know, because like, if, if you don't say yes, we're not going to make payroll next week. That, yeah. that, so, so how do you, how do you follow up without being desperate, without being annoying and without putting 
putting pressure on the on the other side. We're not pressure is wrong, but being needy, I, th- I think is really yeah. Tough. So yeah. So 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 how you know what happens? How do you how do you do that effectively? So I mean, strategically speaking, there's always a timeline in play, right? And when you really know your stuff and you really know the the clients you serve, there's always something on the timeline that you can refer to to try to get clarity on, right? So it's we're coming into the summertime, right, right now, because it's it's end of April. So I would be thinking if I'm talking to someone like, hey, okay, great. If we're talking about doing a deal in the next couple of months, like, hey, summer's coming up. Like, do you have any travel plans? Do you have any vacation plans or something else like this? Because I want you to tell me that there's something in the field. So that way, when you say, oh, I we're not going on vacation this summer. Okay, so you're going to be around. Yeah. Okay, great. Because I want I want to kind of show the exit. Right. Like, hey, Christmas is coming up. Are you guys going to be working in December? Do you guys kind of take it off because of vacations and holidays and stuff like that? Oh, no, we're working. Okay, so this is something we can potentially work on during this time frame. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of people will get so focused and so zoomed in on the conversation. They're not thinking about the other stuff on the calendar. There are other priorities and responsibilities. Right. So being the consultative salesperson. Right. We all have we all need stuff from the people that we're dealing with, right? To get through onboarding, to do a good job and everything else like this. So they need room and bandwidth in their, in their roles and their, in their work. So that way they can give you what you need to have a great outcome and solution. So I'm always kind of thinking about what is going on. I'm also asking them like, what other initiatives are you working on? What else is like taking up your time? What else is on the radar for you? Because the minute they're like, well, I'm going to bring on a marketing person. Okay, great. Should this come after the marketing person? I almost want you to stall me out because I would rather have the conversation when you have the bandwidth to do it well versus trying to get my needs met and shove it in when I want it and then do all this uncomfortable following up and chasing. So I'm always looking for ways to kind of, hey, is this is now the best time to work on this? And then also I let them pick the follow up step. Right. So I'll say, hey, Tim, great conversation. What should we do next? We'll get a follow up point. Okay, when should I be expecting to hear from you? Well, John, I think I can get you something next week. Okay, awesome. If I don't hear from you next week, should I assume that it's over or should I reach out because you got busy? Well, you should reach out because I got busy. Okay, great. Now I have a follow-up point that you gave me after yours, so it shouldn't feel salesy. And then I just get the follow-up with like, hey, didn't hear from you. Can you let me know what's up? Right, it removes that pressure off of it because we're agreeing together to keep this collaborative, right? Right. Yeah, I I always always make sure that I try to... generally remember but not always i always ask what's what's their process for making decisions yep what's good so so like like we we talk about it i then what happens is it is it just your choice you need to go get it cleared with somebody yes is this have to go through an approval cycle is it a budgeting say like what's going on like what how do we how does this work on your end because as part of your sales process certainly as part of your proposal process you should be explaining how it works on your side agreed so it's only fair that you should ask how it works on their side agreed yeah i think that these people who show up and they're just expecting like like a high ticket offer to close on like a one call process it, they're they're setting themselves up for failure right because you're not yeah. doing and, and then these people also want to have like a 15 minute discovery call which is just not really long enough to do really great discovery unless you are epic at like eq understanding the conversational things of others and really able to lane very well and get into the meat of it. But most people don't have that, right? So they're just kind of doing surface level discovery and qualifying and then being like, okay, this one's good to go. 
And it's not, they've not really been warmed up. You don't have vision into what's keeping them from making the progress that they want to make and stuff like this. And it's, it's honestly just kind of being lazy, right? Because you're entitled and, and someone told you that this thing sells itself or something else like that. And then you're drinking that Kool-Aid and, or, or if you like, or if you, if you've made your hundred million dollar offer, that's irresistible. Why do I need to wait? Because it's a great offer. Yeah. But process is process, right? So like the bigger you go. Wait, but it's a great offer. Did you hear what I said? It's a great offer. I, I believe me, I, I read that book and I finished it and I was like, oh, this is a good book. I can't wait to see how people misinterpret it. And sure enough, there's these people who will put out an offer and they'll, and they'll offer it over like, like an ad or like an email offer. They're not actually talking to anybody. And when it doesn't go off gangbusters, they're like, oh, this can't be it. And they'll go back into like an offer revision cycle of like not talking to anybody, not being like, okay, why was this a no? What would it need to be for this to be an easy yes for you? And taking that information and improving their offers with data, as opposed to just how you feel about it. So how do you, how do you feel about the concept of kind of trial closes along the way? So, okay. So to make sure I'm on the same page with you, what do you, when you say draw a close, what do you mean by that? So making, essentially making agreements and getting the, the, the prospect to opt into the next step. Oh, so yeah. So it's big belief. So like, yeah, so great. So now that you've told me about your issues, what's going on in your business, can I ask a couple more specific questions? And then, and then we talk about the stuff we do. And is that a good way for us to go? And if the, if the, if your prospect said yes, they understand, like they have, they have agreed to move forward with you. Yep. Full buy-in. Yeah. All right. They, I, I think it's super important because actually Zappos that does a version of this, right. And, and they're pretty well known for it, but they'll hire someone and they'll let them work for about a month. And then they'll go to them and say, you were so awesome. We think you should go do your own thing. Do you want $3,000 to go start your own business? Because we just believe that you're that strong, right. As, as, as a worker and entrepreneur, right. Well, the people who are going to jump at the first opportunity are going to jump at that $3,000 and be like, Oh yep. yeah, I'm ready to go. But the people who say, no way, thank you so much, but I would rather work here as part of the team and help you guys grow and everything. They're, they're flipping a switch inside their own head. Right. So then they're going to yep. be more, right. more interested in doing the work. Right. So taking that same idea and going to people and being like, Tim, we've had a great conversation. You said some things that I think that we could help out with. Would it make sense to keep talking about those? Maybe have like a, like a detailed discussion about what it would look like to work together versus, okay, so, so when do you want to do the next call? Right. Though, I mean, if something as simple as, as it doesn't make sense to follow on the schedule of follow-up, that is, that's certainly uh, a sign of buy-in, but I think the more explicit you can be oh, about, yeah. about what's, what's happening next really is really, is, is really helpful. So, so, you know, what I, I think about this whole process, this whole sales process mm-hmm. is it's just, a, it's a, like, a, it's a, it, it's a series of gates and permission. I could, yeah. Could not agree more. Yeah. It's like the, <clears throat> the, the always be closing line, right. Is misconstrued, right? Because if, if you're always closing, you're closing on a little bit of mini agreements. Hey, can we talk about this openly and honestly? Yeah. Can you tell me no, if this isn't a fit for you? Yeah. Great. How much can we talk about budget? Is it okay if I recap what I've heard you say, right? Like I'm getting little bitty agreements and little bitty closes all the way through. So that way they feel empowered and they feel like this is a collaborative process. But 
you're running my process, right? If I don't get what I need from this thing, I'm going to call it done because it's just not worth my time. But if there's a real need here, if I feel like I'm talking to someone who's informing me about the buying decisions and how they're made, and I'm talking to the right people, then we can keep talking, but I'm making agreements all the way kind of through. So that way they feel involved as opposed to being spoken at, which is what most salespeople do. But but I think the, but I think the, you said something really important here is that it's collaborative. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, so many people think that you do trial closes because if people say yes, seven times, they'll say yes, eight times, right? And, and that's, and using that sort of thinking is like saying that umbrellas cause rain. Yep. Right. It is in, and so that's causal, not, sorry, sorry. It's, it's a, it, it, it's a, it's, it's not causal, right? It's, yeah. it's correlated. Right? I think, yeah. The, the thing that I don't like about that, right. Is that it's a very short, slippery slope from doing that kind of stuff to building all your questions. So that way they have to say yes. In which case you're, you're not really getting the depth. Like, don't you want to grow? Well, yeah. Okay. Why is it important to you? Well, I don't know. Like you just asked me if I wanted to grow. And so I said, yes. And so we're here. And then you're at this kind of brick wall, which is going to be kind of hard to fight around. Like, hey, Tim, you're you're here. We help people grow, but some people are totally fine where they're at. Can you tell me a little bit more about your situation and why you want to? Or, or I, I think now that's a very nice way to ask, but quite often, regularly, almost inevitably, when people who are selling ask those sort of questions. They haven't done the requisite, the requisite work to earn the vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Because in order to say, yeah, I have a bunch of problems or these things aren't working the way that I want requires vulnerability. Yes. And you can only be vulnerable with those people that you trust. And if you think that, and if you think that someone is trying to sell you something, that's sort of an inherently adversarial yes. circumstance because like, it because it, it, it really does come down to it, it comes down to resource porting like you have this resource of money in your bank that they're trying to take from you <laughs> and if and if that is all that you can feel mm-hmm. you can't say like yes i'm going to be vulnerable because your like lizard brain or your my annoying fred uh, annoying dog fred brain is saying well, i've got to afford the resources and i've got to bring all of the stuffed animals and put them under the dining room table because that's my spot. Mm-hmm. And you can't have any of them. Yeah. I mean, the best question and the worst question in sales is what's keeping you up at night, right? Because when you show up and you don't have trust, no one's going to be honest with you or they're, they're going to say, you know what, we're fine, right? And yep, I talk about this with everybody. Nobody gets out of bed to talk to salespeople. And if, if their view of you is that you're just a salesperson, you're not going to get the honest truth, right? And that's where having some small talk so that way you can understand their communication preferences, right? Like if you're dealing with someone who likes to have some small talk and really likes to kind of get to know someone before you jump into business and you hop on that call and say, hey, can we just jump straight to business? They might say yes, but they might not trust you and be open and honest with you for the rest of the call because you didn't give them what they needed so that way they could trust you, right? So that's where we lean into like the personality and the awareness. Like I want to get to the details fast. I'm an introvert. I don't want to spend forever on calls with people. I want to know if I can help you, if you need my help, if you like how we're going to do it and then let's go. But some people need some small talk on the front end of this thing or else they can't open up and be honest. So I have to slow down. I have to be thoughtful of the person that I'm talking to, what I think their personality style is, how do they want to be sold and communicated to in this kind of format? 
And then let's go forward now that I've collected that information and the, and the discovery is massively improved because you're not doing that tone deaf. You're not saying it the way that I need you to say it. So I don't understand what you're saying kind of thing. So, so you, you said something interesting there that you understand how people want to be sold. Yes. So I'm going to take, I, I, I want to put a spin on that. Okay. So I want to, I want to reframe that a little bit. So it's, uh, I, I think nobody wants to ever be sold. Agreed. I think what, what they, what they want to, what, what you're really trying to understand is what are the, the sort of the empiric information particulars that this person needs in order to feel like they can make a decision. Mm-hmm. And they also need the, the, sh- the safety of knowing that this is not that th- th- that this isn't a dangerous decision, right? So they need to have information so they can satisfy their 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 reasonable decision making process, and they also have to have some emotional safety so that they can satisfy their their sort of deep down. If I go into those woods, the bear is going to eat me, and that's often what it feels like when mm-hmm. you when someone says, "So do you want to? Yeah, what this?" And if you think, if you say, yes, you're like, I do, but oh my goodness, if I walk into those woods, there could be a bear. Yeah. And so you need both of those things. You need the, the, the empiric information and the emotional safety in order to, to, in order to, in order to make the decision to buy, because that's really what, what we're, what, that's what selling is. It is creating that space for someone to make a decision to buy. Agreed. Right. It's not... It's not talking them into the decision. It's not forcing them to make a decision. It's not any of these things because if you're selling to the government, you're not going to get a one call close. That's just not how it works, right? And so you either do the the bid process, you try to be the cheapest provider possible, or you decide to go sell in another segment. But you know, there is you you, you kind of have to know what's normal, what you can get away with, what makes sense, and improving the process as you go along, right? Because if you're yeah. like, and then also. Like, I think deal appreciation, like zooming in and thinking about the deal specifically, like if you're talking about a deal that's way bigger than what than what's normal, then, okay, maybe your process isn't really optimized for that kind of sell and you need to spend a little bit more time and be more thoughtful and manual with it and stuff like that, because the opportunity says that it makes sense. But I agree with you. It's about building that collaborative environment. Like my clothes, what should we do now? Well, John, I'd like to move forward. Okay. Can I tell you what moving forward looks like just to make sure we're on the same page? Moving forward is I'm going to send you the agreement. I'm going to send you the invoice. We're going to put our time on the calendar to start like working together. Do you think we're there? Yeah, I think we're there. Okay, great. I'm going to send that all over. I don't have to do the, well, let me follow up because I would yeah. rather have a no in that moment. And everything, everything I've done up to that point is about making that no approachable so that way they can feel honest and sharing it with me because I'd rather have a no than a fabricated maybe because they're, they're, they're not comfortable telling me no. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that that comes down to that sort of emotional safety idea. Agreed. All right, so so we're coming up on time here because we're we're both busy people and have to do more things. Even though I probably could talk to you all day, I, I could because like we get a, a, at some point we've got to talk about the evolution of your hair because it's <laughs> yeah, it's been long, it's been short, it's been it's been yes, it's been no. Yes, it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a tumbleweed on the back of my head. That's how I think. Right, I think your hair your hair is a Katy Perry song. I think. All right, so. So if you were going to, if you were going to sort of upstillate the essence of what you teach into just a couple of sentences, what would it, 
what would it be? You're aware of the stuff that makes you mad in sales and marketing, right? Because we're all consumers of this stuff. Everybody's trying to sell us everything from the ads you see on your social feeds to the emails that are coming in cold to the cold DMs messaging that, that's coming in. Even the stuff that you respond to versus the stuff that you hate. And when you can clue into that and start looking very purposefully for that, it becomes magical because then it's just like, I'm not going to do that because I hate that. And so then at least I'm doing it in a way that I'm comfortable with and I can live with as opposed to turning on the sales thing, right? And being uncomfortable all the time because not everybody's cut out for that and that's and that has to be okay, right? So yeah. really thinking about what you resonate with, what you do not resonate with is going to help you a lot there because at least then you can be thoughtful when you're doing your outreach, when you're doing your prospecting, when you're doing that kind of top of funnel stuff it's it's volume driven, right? It's activity driven and it's volume because there's not one piece of outreach that's going to get 100% of your target market to, to to raise their hand and say, yes, that's not what's supposed to happen, right? So since it's never going to be 100%, use it meaningfully, right? Apply friction so that way the right people are coming through, right? The other day, someone wanted to work with me. They're like, hey, John, I would like to get some, some, some information, a senior post, a senior content. I like your stuff. I need you to go read the book first. Well, what do you mean? I just want to work with you. You think you want to work with me. You will know after you read the book. You want to go read the book. I'm happy, oh. to, send, I'm happy to send it to you for free. Fancy, fancy, fancy. That, that, that is a good, that, I think, that's, I think that's, a, that's, that's a great opportunity to, to enforce. I, I want to call it intimacy, but, it, but that's not what I mean exactly. I guess it's, it's asking someone to read your book before they make an agreement to work with you really is about mandatory understanding. Yeah. Right. So they, so they, they really, they really get, they understand what, what you're all about delivered in a, in a considered thoughtful way rather than in the approach uh, of a 20 minute discovery call. Right. Or, or, or the fact like, oh, my business is falling apart. I need to hire somebody because the act of hiring somebody will make me feel like I have taken steps to fix it. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and also it, it makes me accountable to my process, right? Because I love what I do and I love talking about what I do, but the education cycle can be very, very long. If you never sold anything before and you're just thinking about how you feel about when you're sold to, we got to cover so much information about how like, while there is that, it doesn't have to be that. And in B2B, it shouldn't be that in my opinion. And, and the book is going to do a better job than a rushed 15 minute conversation and also, I want to try to help as many people as I possibly can. And so I will, I'll go long. I'll, I'll have additional calls with someone to try to kind of get them to that place to where like it makes right. sense. The book is going to do a better job of that. And also it, it saves me a bunch of time. So like when I, when I started doing this, I felt uncomfortable about it. And the reason why I felt uncomfortable was because it felt like I was like trying to push away or sell away or just, it, it, it just felt weird. And so then it was just. I started doing it for everybody, right? Because I get I get all the cold outreach that everybody else does and everyone wants to do their marketing or wants, wants me to hire them to do my marketing and for growth and everything. And it's the same process there. I need you to go read the book. Well, John, I'm super busy. I just want to know if we can work together. It's a no if you don't read the book. Promise. We're never going to get that. You're a hard ass. I mean, ass. I, I, at, at this stage, I can't have a smart, but not sophisticated marketer who's read a couple of books and has got all a bunch of physical no or like philosophical knowledge that they haven't actually applied coming in and wrecking yeah. shop and trying to shove my stuff into the, the shapes that it doesn't make sense then. Right. Like I'm a, 
I'm a consultative salesperson. So when you shove my stuff into like high pressure marketing tactics, it's going to be uncomfortable on the call because it's going to be weird. So if you've not read the book, if you've not followed my content, if you're not very clear on what I do and how I help people, it's a no. That starts with the book. All right. This has been a great conversation. Someday we'll have part three. I'm down. I I will hopefully still have the same hair. But no, I hope you have the different hair. <laughs> that will give us something else to talk about. <laughs> and by then I'll probably have no hair. So you would look good with a ponytail, like to start growing out that back. No, I I, I really wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I felt the same way about me. And then some people like this, not everybody. It's quite controversial. Like my mom hates it. My Melissa is like, don't ever cut it. My daughter has opinions about it. It's, it's, it's a very weird thing to be this age and go through a change and everyone having so much to say about it. It's been very, very interesting and fascinating. All right, everybody. This has been John Hill from Adapted Growth. His, his I'm just going to call it like best-selling. It's the best-selling book on this podcast, on this, on the, on this version of, of the Kilroy Report. Sailing from scratch, available at Amazon, Audible, and a bookseller near you. Thank you so much, John. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, man. It's always fun to dive in and talk about it with someone else who gets it. Thank you. Hey, it's Tim. Thanks for tuning into the Kilroy Report. Your support means a lot. If you liked this episode, hated this episode, whatever, please leave your feedback at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you do that sort of thing. And if you're one of the brilliant people who love this, think about subscribing. It'll do you good. 